You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Ryan got you sitting down again. Oh, you. I think that's uh, that's kind of a thing. I'm going to try and do it every time. All right. I'm into it. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, before we get into it, uh, we got a great episode. And, you know, especially when Ryan goes, I love this episode. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. So we'll get into Ernie Hudson in a minute. But uh, it's it's uh, it's been a crazy it just gets crazier. The, it, now it's 2021. So it's sort of like, all right, the end is near the hopefully not the end. <laughs> but <laughs> who uh, knows? Who knows? We're, no, we're, we're good. We're good. We're solid. I want to say thank you to everybody who uh, sends messages to hello at inside of you podcast dot com. Mm. Uh, the emails are just like, hey, Mike, you don't have to respond, Mike. Mike. Um, you don't have to respond, but uh, I love the podcast. And, you know, I'm going to start reading letters again, but there's so many. And it's just awesome that people get something out of it. And uh, if this is your first time listening, I hope that, uh, you know, you'll do, do us all a favor and uh, write a review and uh, subscribe write a review on apple podcast it, it takes literally literally a second to do it you know um and and they help they really help so if you could do that that you'd be surprised how, how far it goes if you're really enjoying the podcast and you're writing me emails write a review too um i do read all the comments and not that i respond to everyone because that's imp- an impossibility but uh, i read them and i cry i weep and you know i apologize for last week because i said that my uh, band sunspin the website would be out. Well, I had about a hundred emails or a hundred messages saying we go to sunspin.com and there's nothing. That's because we had some uh, issues where we had to change some stuff, but um, we're hoping that you're, as you're listening, if you go to sunspin.com, you will see the website. Uh, I'm hoping it's out today. Uh, give it a shot. Let me know on the old Twitter. What are our handles on inside of you podcast, Ryan? Oh, at inside of you pod on the tweets, uh, at inside of you podcast on Instagram, and Facebook, YouTube.com slash inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. YouTube.com slash inside of you on YouTube. With Michael Rosenbaum. That's the whole thing. YouTube.com slash inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Okay. You heard that three times and Mm -hmm. I couldn't get it. My retaining ability has gotten lesser. It's uh, I don't retain as well. So is your vocabulary. Thank you. Was that was that vocabulary not good? What did I say? My retaining has gotten lesser. My retention. Yeah. Is what I meant. Did I not say retention? I knew what you meant. Yeah, well, it's good that you know what I meant. It's it's good that my view. Listen, I don't. I'm not an intellect. I don't sit here and say, "Oh, I'm Mr. Smarty Pants." I'm a guy who just talks to people like a regular person, like you guys, and that's what I do. And hopefully, you enjoy it. Why am I yelling? I don't know. I don't know either. But uh, thank you for uh, our our support of the podcast, my patrons out there. If you're you haven't joined Patreon, you got to check it out. Um, a lot of patrons and uh what a great family it is and you get extra bonus stuff and merch and go to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash inside of you and uh join the family i i send you a message after you join i'll text you uh but there's different tiers and it's a blast and uh i think people are really having a good time and also our stage it where we play music sunspin we play covers and that's a blast. Honestly, I really love it. It's the last Saturday of every month. So it's January 30th at 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're doing two shows. Uh, we're working on shows now. If you have any idea for any songs, let us know. Join us. Bring your friends. Go to stageit.com, S T A G E I T.com, and just uh, type in Sunspin. And there's two shows, and you go in there and you can follow me, and I can tell you when the shows are. And I always message people on there too. So 
thesunspin.com will have all the merch i mean i'm staring at lunch boxes and beanies and and trucker hats and uh, uh coasters and ryan walked in and goes god what a merch wall <laughs> i'm like yeah man well it materialized out of nowhere it does well, all we of get, a sudden yeah well you know we're starting to get some merch and also on the inside of you online store we've got i actually got some new stuff coming but we got tumblers awesome tumblers and mugs and uh, right now we got Smallville lunch boxes you can get signed. Ooh. Yeah, I just figure you know people are all over selling stuff autographed by me or by whatever, and so I give some to charity. So some will say this goes to charity, mm-hmm. and uh, then you know it's from me, and it's not you're not getting charged an arm and a leg with these people are some people are charging, and good for them. I hope they're making some money. I don't, I'm not knocking them, but I'm like, yeah, well at least you know it's coming straight from the horse's meowth, <laughs> meowth. <laughs> So that's it on that end. Uh, anyway, look, let's get into it. Um, this guy's been around forever, and it's one of those guests that I didn't know, I haven't talked to, and you know, I always get a little like worked up. And but you know him from Ghostbusters, and I mean, he's been in everything. He's done all, tons of television, but he gets really, really personal. And we talk about so many great things, and I can't wait. What was your favorite thing that, without giving it away, that we got into today? Oh God, just uh... his kids. Like he, how he disciplined his kids and like how he kind of got into the acting business was really cool. Broke down and out, went and saw a play and went, huh? Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, you found out that the one thing he wanted to do was be a dad. And I thought that was really neat. Yeah, man. Cause you know, he didn't know his dad. His dad left when he was young, when he, before he was born and his mom died when he was young, like, mm-hmm. like three months old. And so you think I don't want freaking kids, but it's a great story. And l- without further ado, let's get inside of the legendary Ernie Hudson. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Damn it, I knew you'd look good. I knew it. It just, it, it just, you look better at 60. What are you, 65? No, 75, man. What? How do you look so good, man? What are you, are you doing? Are you juiced up? What the hell? Well, thank you. I'll just say thank you, man. It's a new year. And uh, no, I just, you know, things are good, you know? Um, but I, but thank you for the compliment. It's a, it's a good way to start the year off. Well, hey, you're welcome. And it's a pleasure having you here. And, uh, you know, I was talking to, you know, every, every white guy always says he has black friends. But I have, I've always had a lot of black friends. I've had black roommates and like that, you know, and so of course I call all my black friends to say, Ernie Hudson's coming on the show. They're like, what? That's the exact response. What? <laughs> and then they start talking and they go over and they know you like inside out and they were really pumped, which made me nervous because I know they're going to finally listen to my show. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I know you've been doing a lot of press and, and stuff like that for um, Redemption Day. And I, and I didn't get a chance to watch the movie, but the the trailer was intense as shit. Usually you watch these trailers and the publicists send this stuff and you're like, Oh, okay. Okay. And this was intense. And I was like, I wanted to see more of you because you, you, it seemed like you were kind of the, the leading man's mental. Like you had to keep him in the right state of mind, but also you were boxing and fighting. I saw, I was like, okay, I got to see more of Ernie here. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny because uh, as we get older, uh, I'm always like, well, how come I'm not in the fight scene and how come I don't kick the door in and, (laughs) Uh, because they they see a number and they kind of go, but this is a movie, you know, about this um, uh, vet. Um, you know, there's a crisis situation. He has to go in and rescue his wife. 
and I play his dad. I'm now the dad. I play the dad. <laughs> I'm everybody's dad. These days. Um, even though it's hard because we never see ourselves that way, but right. Um, but he's, um, you know, my character is, is kind of, uh, you know, he's a dad whose son is sort of unraveling and having a lot of issues with the PTSD and, um, and, you know, he's in a very delicate place because a lot of guys end up committing suicide and on and on and on. Um, and when the son has his crises, um, so I'm kind of there to support. I'm, I'm a guy who trained him to fight when he was a kid. I'm the guy who he followed into the military. And so just my responsibilities as a dad, that's kind of what I, I do in the movie. But Gary Dearden, um, who stars in the movie, yeah, he's great. He uh, played my nephew on, I have a television show I, I executive produce called The Family Business on BET. And Gary played my nephew for a while until we killed him off. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, so I felt I, I, I wanted to be in this movie um, and be there to support him as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. You, now you have four kids, right? How, how many are boys? Yeah, I have four sons. Four, four sons. sons. Uh, how old? Four boys. Um, all just very different, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but all great guys. And then I have two grandsons, Man. three granddaughters, and um, two great grandsons, and one great granddaughter. So life happens you know and um it does so i'm not a dad i'm 48 my grandmother's 92 and she's like you'd be such a great dad i'm like yeah you say that and then you have the kid and then you're yeah. like and then i know how much i get mad at myself and i'm like god i'm a terrible father and i'm this and then i can't my, my depression i can't sink any lower i can't do it ernie i can't do that to myself <laughs> I, I think don't you have to be mentally prepared to have children well i think you um uh you know it's the only thing that i ever wanted to do uh, like, you know, people say, well, you want to be an actor. Um, but as a kid, the only thing I wanted to do was to be a dad because I didn't have a dad. So I don't know what relationship you have with your father, but I didn't have a dad. Uh, I didn't know my mom. So for me to get the chance to be a dad was like the ultimate, most important thing ever. See, that's so beautiful. I, I, I had to do it. It's not that you're better prepared, but I will say parenthood is not for everybody. And um, and that's that's definite. Well, you know, I look at that. I look at your story, and I'm, I don't think a lot of people know that. But you know, you didn't know your father, and your mom passed away when you were just a couple months old. And I'm like, I had parents. I was from a dysfunctional family. I mean, we are dysfunctional. I mean, if you, the more you sit here with me, you will realize that, Ernie. But well, I, most families are. Most, you know, I know everybody. Nobody gets a, a clear break. Every family, in one way or the other, some more, some though more than others. I will admit, but. Um, yeah, they're all dysfunctional, but, but you said at a young age, you were, you were like, I want to be a dad. Was it because, you know, you was like, I didn't have a dad. I, my mom, I didn't know my mom. I want to have a family and create this atmosphere that I didn't have as a kid. And this is what I want to create some kind of like something you didn't have. Was that it? Yeah. I think, uh, as a kid and because, you know, I didn't, nobody knew who my father was. And so I would really young, I would kind of latch on to men and kind of hang around and hope they would kind of you know, like me and want to be my dad. And then they would always say, get tell with me. Uh. <laughs> and that was always so. So I thought when I grow up, I'm going to be a good dad and I'm going to do all the things that nobody did with me. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, it was my way. I thought of, yeah, doing and giving and being there for somebody the way nobody was ever there for me. But I realized later on, 
that uh, your issues are your issues, not theirs. Um, but still, I will say being a parent was the best thing that ever happened to me. I think kids will make you more than uh, than what you are. You dig so deep. You know, you go <laughs> to places for your kids that you wouldn't even consider for yourself, you know. Um, there are things you could do that you kind of go, now, I mean, I can sleep outside. But my kid, no, I'm sorry. But I you're gotta... you're level headed though. Like I, I, I can just tell by talking to you for like a few minutes that you know the some of the roles you play are not so level headed, and then some of the roles <laughs> you play. So it's all over. I mean, you're an actor. You're a great actor. So, but then when you're a parent, how do you? I mean, you got to be the bad cop sometimes. You got to be the. I mean, like my dad, I'd rather him smack me in the back than yell at me. His voice was so powerful, like. Don't ever let me tell you that again. And I was like, oh my God. It was just terrifying. Like, did you have to hold yourself back? Because kids could piss you off. And the worst kids are kids that aren't yours. When you have kids over your house with yeah, your friends' yeah. kids and they break right. shit, you can't reprimand the child. You have to say, uh, John, uh, could you talk to your child that just broke my uh my uh my Star Wars toy that I shouldn't have right. as a 48 year old man? But what like what do you like? Was well, the, you know, yeah. people say, well, you really love children. I go, I love my kids. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's, yeah, there's a way that uh, my son uh, recently told me about an incident. And he, he's um, he's 50 now, 50, Rocky's what? 52. And he told me about an incident that happened. And uh, and I, and it was just awful. And he's been, he was really kind of upset about it. And I said, wow, man, so what did I do? I mean, because I know I didn't hit you. And he said, no, no. He said, but it's the way you looked at me. And I'm like, that's it? It's a lot. But I, I knew I, I had a way of looking at my kids like, okay, that's it. You know, cut it. And, and I could always, you know, I always had that. I didn't do it often, but when I, you know, was, if we go beyond this point, you're in trouble. You're in wait, serious trouble. Wait a minute. You, you didn't give them the death look very often? Yeah, well, it, you know, if we're in public and you you start to get a little crazy on me, dude, you don't want me to go there, you know. And I would always, <laughs> I suppose, it, I, I, you know, I, I won't say I never whipped my kids because in those days you did, but I would always negotiate. It's like, okay, listen, what you're doing is really kind of stupid and crazy, and I understand you did it, but maybe it was a mistake. So I'm going to assume it was a mistake, but we, I don't want to have this conversation again. And then a second time, all right, you did it again. Now, if you do it, I think you want me to do something crazy too. So, <laughs> My, so I'm telling you, do this again, and we're going to be. So after about three warnings, then it's like, okay, all right, this is this is apparently what you want to happen. But uh, but we never really got to that third right. and final. Well, phase. I got oh, to rarely, it. I should say, rarely. I have one son who all kids are different. I have four sons, and they're totally. What works for one does not work for the other. So that was the other hard reality. Also, the hard reality is I wanted to be a dad because I thought I wanted to do it right. And no matter how right you think you got it, they say, you know, you really screwed me up, dad, and you really kind of, you know, you were awful to me and you weren't there for me. And I'm like, what? You know? We remember I mean, different I, things, I, right? One time I was single dad. I was a single dad. And he was at uh, Columbia in New York. And it was costing a lot of money. And I went to see him and he said, Dad, you know, he says, um, you know, you, you've just never been there for me. And I'm like, I, I've been this single dad since you were seven years old. If, I said, if you think about when you learned to ride a bicycle, I'm the guy that was running behind the bike holding you, you up. I mean, 
every single birthday, I'm the guy who bought the, but kids will interpret it. It's not what happens, it's how they interpret things. And you have to be able to say, okay. I mean, it hurt me at the time. I mean, I, I remember I was standing there crying because I thought, how do you say I'm not, um, me decline that. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, that happens to me uh, too. I have to whatever. decline. Yeah, I, I still don't, yeah. But yeah, no, so parenting is not, uh, no matter how well you think you do it, they're going to find issues. Yeah, um, that's difficult. And, you know, my, my, my friend Chris and Roger and I, we we always talk and we're like, you know, sometimes when we got hit, we're like, oh, we, we deserved it, man. We, I mean, kids nowadays get away with murder. They're on their things and they're not listening and they're just like, and like, they're like no, don't hit the child. It's not that you hit the child, but like a little smack in the ass. It's like, yeah, come on, yeah. man. Like, hey, snap yeah. out of that. What are you doing? I got what's called mall arm. I just made that up, but it's called mall arm um, where I'm in the mall and I'm just being goofy and yelling and doing stuff. And my dad goes, stop that. And then I'm yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, stop that. And then I do it. And then he just grabs your arm and you're just like, it's like, oh, oh. it's the scariest thing in the world. Do you ever give a little mall arm to the child? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I know. There'll be a place <laughs> we just, we cannot go. And we're definitely not going here in public. You're not, you're not going to do this to me out here. So, um, yeah, you, but I always would, we, we always, especially my older two boys, I have four sons. So the younger two, um, you know, me and their mom, we've been together throughout their whole life. So it's a whole other experience. I mean, you know, they, they would always go to mom, you know, anything that happened, mom, you know, dad is looking crazy, but, uh, <laughs> but the older two boys, you know, it was, give me that look again. Them. Yeah. It's uh, they, they could always run to mom. But, um, yeah, you know, there, there are certain things. I mean, I always tell my kids, you can talk to me, even when they were small, you can talk to me about anything. I don't care what it is, how off, I don't care. There's nothing you can't talk to me about. But how you talk to me, you can't mm -hmm. talk to me anyway. you got to, I, and, and I don't ask for anything I want to give. I'm, I'm never going to disrespect you. I promise you. But on the same token, you got to, you know, I, I'm not asking anything that I'm going. So that was always my, um, and we would talk. We talk about <laughs> stuff that other parents probably wouldn't. But if they want to talk about it, let's Like let's sex talk. talk. Sex talk. They'd have sex, sex talk. talk. Whatever. Ooh, I can never do that with my dad. Oh, and me and my, mm. my grandmother who raised me? You're kidding? I couldn't even say the word sex. I mean, it was, but, um, <laughs> but no, I just feel that... Um, <laughs> Most things, I remember when they were real young, my two older boys, like about uh, maybe three and six, and, uh, and, and we would have our talks, and I said, listen, you know, you guys, because um, I felt they were holding something back, something had happened. So I said, you know, it's okay. If you guys want to curse, I said, you know, now normally you can't curse in front of me, but just while we're talking now, use any language you want to use it, so it's okay. It's like, it's, it's just for now, you know. And suddenly the words started rolling out of their mouths. I'm like, literally, I was like, God. you didn't know they knew those words. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, stuff that I didn't hadn't said. And they, of course, kids know, you know, but uh, they they keep it from you. But um, and I kind of go, okay, it's uh, now time's up. I don't want to hear anymore. And and they've always been respectful. <laughs> time's up. I, if I hear one more word, yeah. in fact, I never yeah, want to yeah. play this game again. That's it. Right, you said yeah. enough for 50 of those games. Yeah, my dad was always like the extreme. Like, I think he did a lot of drugs when he was young. And, uh, you know, so it was like, I never smoked. I never drank. I never did this. If I ever find this, you're going to a halfway house. So I remember I, the neighbor gave me a pierced my ear and I came home looking at my dad with just my left side of my face. 
And I said, hey, dad, would you care if I got your ear pierced? You'd, get, you'd go out, you'd be out of the house if you got your ear pierced. You get your ear pierced, you're out of the house. I'm like, all right, I'm going to stay at Nate's for the next four days for this heels. You know what I mean? He was like extremely strict. Then I found cigarettes. Then I was at his dentist in Long Island years later. I had graduated high school and I was at Long Island. The guy was doctor, fight tooth decay with Dr. J. And he lived on Long Island and he did the work out of his house. How I didn't get an infected mouth, I don't know. But I remember talking to this man and I was like, yeah, has my dad always been such a, you know, a kind of a, you know, conservative tight ass? He's, your father used to whip it out. He used to swear. He used to, he did, he think he invented cocaine. He, he starts going on about my dad. I'm like, what are you talking? This is not the, so you find out things about, were you one of those fathers that just like you wanted them to think you were perfect? Or did you say, hey, I did this, I did this, or maybe you didn't? Yeah, no, I I, I feel that the, the best thing I can do for you is to be honest. That's why I never, if you if you want to bring the subject up, I'm going to tell you the truth. So if you don't want the truth, don't bring it up. I always wanted them to see exactly who I am because, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not hiding anything. In fact, my kids probably know me better than anybody else. I mean, I... Um, and I, and I, and I can relate to, you know, they go through that. I, I realize it's, I tell my kids, um, I know what it's like to be 21, but I don't know what it's like to be 21 now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a, you, you, you're seeing things that I didn't see. So I'm not going to judge you because I come from a different time and a different experience. And I can, I can appreciate that. Right. Um, I have an opinion, but your opinion is probably more valuable than mine as far as you're concerned because you know what I didn't know. And I think I've always felt that way with them. Um, but I never wanted to. I don't, yeah, no, I don't like to. And even in general, I don't like covering up the hiding stuff. I got nothing to hide. I'd rather have it all out there and then live with the consequences than to always be afraid that the consequences will pop up at the worst time. Ernie, I know this is going to sound weird, but would you be my father? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing how you could be so just like, hey, if you want to know the truth, this is what I did. There's there's really I think that actually helps the child. You know, if, if I said, dad, my, if my dad took me aside and said, listen, I drank, I did this and it messed me up and I had a right. really tough time. And yeah. if you're going to ever try that, and I hope you're smart enough not to. But if you get into trouble, you'd call me and and I'd be. That was not the that he was not that guy. He was you're going away if you get caught. If I catch you drink, so there was almost that like I wanted to fight back. Like screw right, you, yeah, man. I'm gonna do yeah. what I want. So kids, it's a hard balance. I I wouldn't know how to be a father, and I I like I give him the benefit of the doubt. He, he did the best. I always say he did the best he could. That's what he. Yeah, you, that's yeah, what he did. I bet you know you know how to do, and um, and you and you have to respect that, you know, because yeah, yeah. you can never know what they're seeing. Most of it's fear. I think if I was really afraid that maybe they would judge me, they wouldn't respect me if they knew that I did something. But I always feel like, hey, man, this is this is it, and um, and I and I have value no matter what I did. So I didn't feel I had. But I, a lot of parents are a little bit afraid of if they really knew the truth about me or something. Right. You know, when I was I was broke and I was losing my house and I was in you know just really. Uh, I wasn't going to pretend that everything was fine, man. I'm, you know, I'm out here. We're broke. I got no money and I don't know what I'm going to do. So someday if you ever get to this place, um, you know, just know that this can happen if you make certain choices. Wow. Well, you know, this, I, I, this helps a lot. Thank you for the therapy, but like into your career now, 
Like, you know, you're facing all this adversity. You don't know your parents. You're growing up with your with your uh, your grandmother, Arana. Is that right? Yeah, Arana. Yeah. Arana. And, you know, she's obviously teaching you some good values because look at the man you become. I mean, was she like very, was she strict? Was she a disciplinarian? No, you know, um, I remember the last whipping I got, <laughs> I was about 11 years old because that was, you know, kind of her way. And she, she was really hard with her kids. So when I came along, she was just kind of, and we went to church a lot. And she would always, um, because I was always curious about what they were talking about, she would always kind of break it down in a way that, that I could understand. So we had long, long conversations. But the, but when I would do something, rarely, but when I would do something, she would find the ultimate thing was whipping. When I got to be 11, I didn't wash the dishes, and she gave me a time limit to wash them. She went to church, came back, the dishes still weren't washed, and she had just had enough. So she got the belt out, and she said, I'm going to whip you, and she started whipping me. What, in my mind, I thought, because I would always be so afraid. It's like it would just freak me out, be screaming, because I didn't want to get a whip and I'd be crying. Then I thought, well, I wonder how bad it would be. So I just kind of, um, I was sort of standing here. She hit me, and I thought, well, it's it's not bad, you know. And uh, she hit me, and she kept, I thought, you know, it's it's uh, it's okay. I mean, it's not as bad as I thought. I'm kind of processing what this is. And she just exhausted herself. And uh, and I'm like, come on, sit down. You need some water here. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, last, the last whipping I ever got. Later on, I wish I still got whipping because she didn't whip me, but she would lay that guilt on me, which was worse than whipping. But um, but I think yeah, she just realized that she couldn't take that approach because honestly, it it didn't. As long as you're afraid of it, but once you kind of face that, I'm like, you know what? I I'm not afraid of that. Uh, well, but at least she, she didn't uh, give the so Ernie we, we face. Had a, we, we had a friendship. We had a partnership. We had a friendship. I think um, that um, that was how we we worked our our stuff out. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker Qualia Synalytic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. It's a product that I didn't, they weren't even my sponsor when I was using this. And I was like, wow, why do I have more focus or energy? Why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synalytic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried quiacinolytic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Qualiacinolytic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, 
the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. If you want to save money, listen up. <laughs> I don't know how, how to tell you this other than f- this really works. Ryan went through this. Mm-hmm. We have so many unwanted subscriptions that we forget we have. And, uh, you know, there's so many apps nowadays that we just get lost. And, you know, I'm not very app savvy. And, you know, I'll watch a streamer. And then the next thing I know, I forget that I just watched one show and I'm still subscribed to this after six months. With Rocket Money, they take care of you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Why don't you say... Did you know that nearly 75% and end at... Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Yeah, I'm one of those people, Ryan. And between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I could see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. I love the dashboard and how it shows me this month's spending compared to last month. I like doing that. Uh, So I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. That's simply astonishing. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So, stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. So you grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Indiana, small town. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I really didn't get it together. I'm still trying to get it together in terms of like figuring out who I am and all these things. I think you found out at a young age, which then you became this playwright and you were doing all these things. And I just was, you know, how were you, did you excel in school? I mean, to be a playwright, you've got to be a good writer. You've got to know all the, I mean, you, did you do well? Uh, no, I think I graduated high school with a 1.7 average. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, that's, that's I, me. well, you know, my grandmother who was born in 1895 for her, uh, the biggest thing is if you finish high school. So that was the only thing she ever asked me, just finish high school, because she thought, you know, you finish high school, you're good to go. But in 1964, that was not the case. And so I didn't really, I just wanted to finish high school, which I just didn't really uh, work very hard until the last year in high school when I began to realize that, oh my God, this is my life. And so I decided to join the uh, the Marine Corps because that was kind of, my saving and then I got discharged from the Marines because I had asthma, and I found myself back at home a little bit lost. And then, 
then I got married and then we had a kid and then I went, what the hell, this is my life and it's over. So that's when oh. I began to think outside the box and say, okay, uh, I always liked writing poems and little plays and stories. And so when I finally managed, I went to Detroit and got into college. Um, that was kind of a natural and, you know, uh, extension. But when I first got discovered theater and walked on stage, I knew that this is, because up until then, I'd been trying to get a good job. I've been trying to, you know, take care of my family. I've been working hard doing, and I was, I just felt so bad at everything that when I got to theater, it was like, wow, I, I, I got this. I can do this. And so it made sense to me. How old were and, you? Uh, Probably about 22. So it was an audition or a play? No, maybe 21, somewhere in there, 21, 22. And was it a play or an audition for something, or what was it? Yeah, it was a play. I mean, I, I, I took this uh, act. Well, first, my wife and I, we went to Detroit. And like I said, we were, we were married, had a kid. Um, and just, uh, you know, I'm just trying to find a, a way to not have to work in a, a factory my whole life. So um, uh, we had an argument. Uh, uh, one of those, you know, you just, she just really got on my, I just had to get the hell out. Right. So I got in my car and I'm driving around Detroit. I got nowhere to go and I don't want to go back home. And so I, I drive by this little building. It has a marquee out front and there, there's a lineup of people. And I was like, wow, I, I was kind of curious about it. So I parked the car and I asked what was going on. And the guy said, it was a play. It was a Detroit repertory theater. And so I thought, I'm not going back home. So I got in line and I went in and <clears throat> sat down and this play, the curtains came up and, and it was a play about a father whose daughter had disobeyed him and got in trouble. And so he disowned her. And then finally in the end, they reconciled. It was amazing. It was, I was so blown away. It was just, I sat there, after everybody left thinking, wow, I mean, that is so those actors, if I could do that, I mean, but it was, just, I could never do that. And then that fall, um, I needed an elective. And um, so I took an acting class. And when I, when I, when I said, I walked on stage in the class, which was held in this theater um, called the Hillbury Theater. When I walked on stage, I just felt at home. I, I just felt at home. I felt this is and then when I began to understand what was required, what the acting was, what I'm like, okay, if I can, I, I got this. It's the first time I felt really good at something. Wow, you weren't nervous. Oh, that I could, I, I, people say, well, it's, you, you do what you love to do. And I kind of go, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't, I do love it, but I do what I can do. I just could never do anything else. You know, I mean, I, I, I could kind of do it, but I wasn't the best at it. Whereas uh, with the acting, I felt like I can at least aspire to be the best at it. And you weren't nervous? Did, that, did you get the fear at first? Or are you just like, I, there was this innate confidence to you? Well, it was, um, you know, I was always learning and picking up. It wasn't the fear as much as I, I need to know that I, I got to prepare. I got to make sure I got to put whatever. But no, I mean, I, I can do this. I mean, my fear is I can't get a job and I can't pay the rent. <laughs> and I, you know, <laughs> real life stuff. But this is. I mean, I learn the lines, I say the lines, and then I get paid. I mean, how hard Okay. Is that? All right, but here's what I'm thinking. You just got in a huge fight with your wife. It's bad. Yeah. You had to get out of there. You go see a play in Detroit. 
You fall yeah. in love with the theater, and then you go back home that night, and you say, you know what, honey, who's pissed off at me? Just yeah. speak, speaking yeah. of not making any money, I want to be an actor. I mean, what? what? Well, <laughs> well, you know, when I went back home, because I didn't, you know, we talked about the play, I'm sure. But I, at that point, I didn't even imagine, I just, I didn't even think it would be possible for somebody like me to be an actor. That was like, I saw these actors, they were bigger than life. I'm like, man, this is, it was, it was too big a prayer to, to, to pray. Right, right. But that fall, when I took the acting class and I began to get a sense of this is how it's done, and I heard all the horror stories, uh, the following year, I left and went out to L.A. trying to find work and get in, not to be an actor, just trying to find work. And I was, I, I couldn't get connected, and I called home, and my wife, and I'll always give her credit for this, she said, well, why don't you, there's nothing going on, why don't you come back and... Um, and, and, and get into acting and do that acting thing. You really like that. And I said, well, I can't be an actor because actors, you know, they, they, they the average income for an actor is less than the janitors make. I mean, actors, you can't make a living at it. And she said, you know, you're broke already. You're not going to lose any money. So you, at least you'll be doing something you like. Wow. And, uh, and I came back and I got in theater and uh, I got cast in a, a play called The Emperor Jones and... From then on, it was my life, and um, and I've always managed to make a living at acting. And this was in 1960, 1960, no, I guess, yeah, it was just in 1960, wow, you know, you asked me how old I was, so this was in 1966, something like that, but I always managed to, and that, not always a great living, I mean, I'd you do a play and they pay you a couple thousand bucks and you use that to pay the rent, right. the gas in the car, and you do. You, it was a hustle. There was some local TV stuff I was able to do, but I always managed to hustle enough to where I could be full time at. I, I had dinner with uh, Joy Montagna and uh, Joy Pantaleone and oh, uh, I know him, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim Daly. We're all having dinner and uh, they were talking about different jobs they had along the way. And I said, you know, I never really had, once I committed to acting, um, that's what I've been able to do. Um, you know, I never had to go and be a waiter or whatever. This is That's amazing. You know, Did anybody, who was the first person you recall that, because I think this means a lot. You have people along the way, mentors, certain people who just believe in you and everybody says, no, no, no. And there's that one that goes, you're really, who do you remember said, hey, You've got something. This is there's something here. You're you got this. You should really do this. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously nobody that you know, family or friends. That's all right. That was like, you know, you're out of your mind. First off, I was married and <laughs> had a kid. So, you know, First thing you could be do. an actor yeah, in, yeah. In, in Detroit. I mean, really? Um, <laughs> you know, you want to quit your factory job and do this thing. But um the professor I had, a guy named Earl D.A. Smith, who was just amazing, and a guy named David Regal, the ones who produced the uh, the Emperor Jones, um, they were really, you know, they were really, and also I would always get cast in the lead, um, even when I started out. Um, so, and we did, and the reviews were always really good, saying that I was whatever. So it was all these in signs along the way. You know, I always say theater is like a love affair. It's got to be two ways. But when you're putting everything out and she's not giving anything back, maybe it's time to 
<laughs> maybe it's over. Right, right. So uh, she's always giving me enough back to let me know that she's that yeah, she loves me. So, and uh, that's how I love my son's a musician. He struggled, and he's in his fifties now. And I'm saying, well, you know, but um, I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, she hasn't really, you know. You've given a whole lot more than she's given you, but because she as a dad, you can't say that, but a certain way, you you know, you want to be supportive, but right. it's it's interesting. I'm going through a, a a thing like that. You know, me I've always loved music. I've lo- I've loved it more than anything in my life, even though I've acted my whole life and had a lot of success with acting. Um, and then I always said, you know, I shouldn't do this because I'm not as good of a singer or as good of a musician, but I was like, well, that's absolutely asinine. Now, there's a difference between if you're trying to do something to become, to make a lot of money from it, to be whatever it is you want to become, a rock star or whatever. And so right. for your son, the same thing. So I, I think I love it so much that it would be a disservice to myself and my mental well-being not to do it. Yeah. So yeah. there's no reason why you shouldn't continue to be passionate and love what you do. And if something happens, great, but have no expectations other than just trying to be great. That's what made, has yeah. helped me out with my, because I'm always trying, I got to be great at this. I got to be great at this. If I'm not great, then I'm a failure. And that's something right. that's I've been working on in therapy and all that shit. So I, I feel like it's great that he's still playing. It's great that he's doing his thing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if he loves it, keep doing it. But if that's what he's trying to make a living off of, you know, it could be putting pressure on yourself. Right. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I think you we're called to certain things. But sometimes when you do a certain thing, another path will light up. You know what I mean? And you, you start out this way. Most of the directors and producers I know started out trying to be an actor or trying to be something else, and then they sort of it's connected, uh, whatever. But I, I think you you have to do what you do, but you still have to, especially when, in my son's case, you got uh, kids. You know what I mean? And so you, you have a responsibility. I, right. I, I would never um, say sacrifice my kids because I want to do the acting. You know what I mean? I right. mean, it's uh, I gotta find a way to. They they have to come first, at least until they're able to to do. So, um, but you have children, and so you can still do music, but maybe you have to work a job and do it at night, or right. until you can get that deal. Now, if I had to work a job as soon as an acting job came up, I I, I never worked a job that I couldn't quit. You know what I mean? I'm a job that was so important to me. It's like, as soon as anything happens, I'm out of here. Right. Uh, but but I got to find a way to pay the rent. And so if it means that I, I you know, like I, said, I can sleep on the street, but I, my kids can't sleep on the street. Right. So if if my uh, business, my career, my acting doesn't love me enough, then I got to, I got to, I got to get some someone who does, and then we'll just have a little side affair here, you know. Exactly. Bro. You know, and that's how I until I can find a way that uh, I that's healthy. Totally, yeah, but, but I think children are that's a big part when you got kids, um, or you have other responsibilities. But you know, I'm responsible for myself, and as a dad, I kind of go, you know, it's not my responsibility. I mean, I, I'll take on a lot. I'll be there for you. My whole thing is, you know, the difference between you and me is you have me. I didn't have a me. I didn't have somebody who I could, you know, and I want to be there to support you. If you come to me and you're trying to do something and you have 85% and you need that extra 15% to kind of get over. But when you come to me and you said it's something you want to do and you only have 5% and you want me to kick in the other 95, 
something's wrong with that. <laughs> and I don't uh, like it. That you know, that happens more often than not. I'm like, dude, this is this is your thing, man. I'm you know, I I love you, but uh, you know, I'm not so That's, but as a dad, yeah. You, yeah, it's a little hard, you know, and, and you know how much it means to them, but you don't want to be disappointed. You don't want to disappoint someone, but right. That's but when if you, you love yeah. music as a part of you. Yeah, I, I, I would. I wish I, I um, could play music. You know, I, I consider my body as my instrument, but I would love to be able to play. I could definitely make sense out of uh, guitar. There's or, nothing. By the way, guitar is easy to learn. I'm telling you, there's these there are tutorials. I've been playing a while, but. To learn a G, a D, and a C, you could pretty much play every hit you've ever heard. I mean, oh, and it's easy. And once you get some calluses on your fingers, you got nothing to do. You just grab a guitar off the shelf and just kind of strum. And it's yeah, just I'd soothing. To, yeah. You should. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And maybe now at this point, because now I have a little more time, because not chasing that that acting thing, uh, it might be fun to, to, I've always liked to sing, so be able to play with that. Um, that would be, it'd, it'd be kind of fun. So you're a good singer. Well, I don't know about a good singer. I say I like to sing. What do you sing? <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I, I've, I've been paid to sing. I used to do musicals years ago. Uh, I can learn a song. I'm, I'm not a singer. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I mean, I can I, I can hold a, 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 you know, I can hold a tune. I can, um, yeah. Let's know, do Bee Gees I mean, right I, now. I enjoy it. Let's I do the Bee Gees. The Let's do the Bee Gees. When I was a kid, there, there was a song I learned <laughs> in grade school. Uh, start the day with a song. How'd it so go? I, I just say I, I feel better when I sing. I sing <laughs> I, I sing when I don't even know I'm singing. You know, it's uh <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm telling you, right before we did this, Ryan and I were singing from the nights on Broadway, doing the Bee Gees, singing that. And we were just having fun. And it's just like you automatically, yeah. there's a life and a spirit and a it's it just yeah. it's it's I love it. I love music. Um, I wanted to ask you about. You know, you got, you started acting at, you know, things started happening and you started, I mean, you did the, the I guess the sequel to um, Dolomite and you did, a, you did a bunch of roles. Now, did like it, it, I think about these things because a lot of people don't realize how typecast, what is typecasting, especially if you're not in the business. Do you think it had to just irk the hell out of you? Because again, I talked to my African-American friends. They're like, dude, we're playing the pimp or we're playing this and they're not giving us opportunities and they're not getting, and you see it and you're like, you're right. Like, how did this go on for so effing long? And were you, did, did it just piss you off? Because here you are a town actor and you're working and obviously you became a legend, but in the beginning and you're doing all this stuff, did that bother you a lot that all these roles, like uh, black guys were getting, women, black uh, women, they were they were getting the same roles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's certainly the, the projects weren't. I love now that it's more diverse and and the, the Hollywood has stepped up and tried to be more inclusive. And so you see shows that uh, you never would have seen even 10 years ago. But um, but in those, I think it frustrated a lot of people because, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was some negative role. And definitely it's not about you. But I... Um, my thing was always a little bit different. I guess I never, if I was playing a pimp, I never really saw him as a pimp. I was playing this guy who just happened to be a pimp. I know it's kind of a weird thing. I wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the stereotypical. I'm like, this is a guy who's in trouble and he's doing some things. And um, and so my I went from sort of being the heavy because I was kind of physically fit. So I'd be the heavy, you know, the kind of guy. and. Um, 
but it was always it was always personal. You know, it was always I was playing this guy. And um, then I went to Best Friends. Suddenly, I was doing a lot of movies where I was Best Friends. You know, I'm in the story, um, but it's about Robbie Benson, and I'm Robbie's best friend. Right. And um, so it was always very hard to find those things that um, that I'm a central part of the storytelling, and that's very frustrating because, um, or you're in the thing. I one of the things that happened when I did the first Ghostbusters, it came out. It was such a big hit. And um, I used to get invited to come to schools and talk to the kids. And uh, and I would go there and I'd make them honorary Ghostbusters, you know. Uh, <laughs> nice. And the teachers liked it because the kids would play Ghostbusters, but they wouldn't fight each other. They would chase the imaginary ghosts and trap him and all that. <laughs> so, uh, but one of the things that kids would ask me, at first it confused me because the kids, would, they would say, where does Winston go? And I'm like, where does Winston go? And they say, yeah, where does Winston go? Because... He was in. He was there with with the other Ghostbusters. And then he left. Did he go home? Where Where is his home? You know, does he is he married? Does he have kids? We don't know a damn thing about Winston. Whereas Bill Murray, we kind of see him in his you know his little studio, or Danny in his little lab, or or you know we we get a sense of you know what is outside of what we're seeing. But with Winston, he's just there. He just pops up and. Um, so that's um, that's so it's frustrating. That's changed a lot, um, but in the meantime, you know, you have to keep you know, keep working. Hopefully, you can bring something. But I will say, and I, a lot of people would not like to hear me say this. A lot of times, I had a friend. Uh, we were auditioning for this thing, and he came in looking so ridiculous, and he was doing this really stereotypical interpretation. And I said, man, what are you doing? And he said, yeah, yeah, you know. And I said, but why are you doing that way? I mean, why are you kind of shucking and doing whatever the hell you're doing? And he said, you know, that's what they want. And I said, that's what who wants? He said, that's what they want. And that, that, that's it. They want us to be that way. And so the assumption is that I better go ahead and do that. And I, I just, I never assumed playing Winston that I had to be subservient. That's sad. You know, that uh, makes you know, me feel makes me feel kind of bad that he would, Think that, yeah, but he was probably had rightfully I won't so. Get the role unless I've, I've, I've been on uh, auditions where people, in fact, uh, one of my actor friends, I came in and it was part of it was a part of a cook really, but I came in, I had a t-shirt on in my arms. He said, "Man, you better go, you better cover the cover your arms up." And I said, well, "Why?" He said, "Ain't gonna let you on the screen with your arms like that, man. Ain't gonna let a brother come in because you're gonna be." And I'm like, uh, "Who says it?" But it's all these assumptions. And actually, you help perpetuate this stereotype unknowingly because you are doing what you think they want you to do. And until somebody comes along and kind of go, why can't I produce it? Why can't I direct it? Why? Wow. That um, it changes. That's more powerful. That's um, pretty powerful. We grew up believing, we used to say, they'll never see an interracial relationship on TV. They'll never see, you'll never see that. And he goes, yeah. (laughs) And for a long time, you didn't. I mean, for a long time, it's like, oh, it's just not going to happen. Um, and now I'm Lily Tomlin's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So, but you yeah, had a different perspective, yeah. Ernie. You that, that That's rare that you had a certain innate, like, ability to come up with these roles or have a personality. And you didn't, like, say, oh, this is the pimp role or this is the 
the cop and I'll be like this and I'll be like some you had a perspective on this character, which obviously well, gave you a lot. Well, of I knew guys who considered themselves pimps, but I didn't see them as pimps. I knew them as my friend, um, you know, um, Jeremy. You know, Jeremy's a pimp, but Jeremy, I know Jeremy. I know his mother. I know he's Jeremy. You know, he he's a person. He's not a pimp. And a lot of actors felt like, you want me to play the pimp? No, I want you to play Jeremy. Winston is Winston. I don't want Winston to be the black guy. Right. And I've done shows where even the directors would kind of not so subtly say, uh, Ernie, um, could you, you know, just uh, do it a little more, you know, that, that thing you do? And I said, what thing? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that, 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 you know, that jive. I mean, just, just make him a little more jiver. Jiver. <laughs> Mini jiver. Yeah, you know, it's like he's, he's here. Come on, man. Do that thing you do. And I'm like, I don't do that thing. I don't know what the hell you're oh talking about. Oh my God, dude. I can just this see guy, it. This guy is he's a guy who's trying to feed his family and he may have to do these things, but he's not. You know, we we see him, we think we know everything about him, but you that's not who this man is. And so if I play him to be this, then 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 he's not a person. So I have to, even though I did one show, it's called Too Close for Comfort. Oh, I used to love that show. Yeah, Ted Knight. Ted Knight. And so I played a mm -hmm. part where mm -hmm. um, they accidentally knocked a hole in the wall. And so to get it repaired, uh, there's a prison system where they, the former prisoners, uh, you can hire them to help, you know. So they, they call the hotline and they hire me and my uh, ex-felony <laughs> Part is a white guy. Oh. And so we uh, walk in the house and they show us a hole in the in the wall. And so my line is, holy my hell yeah. <laughs> now I don't even know what the hell it means. I mean, honestly, I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and I say I, I don't understand. And uh he said, No, no, just just say it. And so I would say, uh, holy man, no, no, say it with energy. And he wants me to do this, holy my hell yeah. And I, I'm like, this is crazy. So I, I talked to Ted Knight, and I said, Ted, do you understand this? And Ted is like, no, what the hell does that mean? doesn't make any sense to me. And all the other actors are like, no, you don't have to say that. Don't say it. And then finally the producer said, listen, when you audition, you said it, and you said it perfectly. And I hired you for that. Now, either you say holy Mahalia, or I'll get somebody else who will. Now... I need the job. So I walked in and I said, holy my hell yeah, fuck it. I mean, <laughs> but it still was like, just oh. stupid. What, does that, what does that even mean? I never heard anybody say that expression. So it's always a little bit of that. And sometimes you have to go, you know what? I'm not doing that. Um, I did a, a show in the very beginning years ago called Highcliffe Manor with mm -hmm. Shelley Fabray and Steve McCaddy. And, um, and it was about, it was a pilot. It was a series. Um, and uh, I played um, a, a voodoo priest um, who had crossed the uh, the Atlantic in a canoe, um, me and Steve McCaddy. And uh, so every other line was Mbwana, and, uh, and I had gold teeth and uh, earring and um, no, no Sabwana. It was, it was just weird. And I really, I mean, I, I was... Me and the kids, you know, things were really tight, and I wanted the job. It was paying more money than I ever made, and I'm like, I went in and uh, and I got the part, and I I worked on it for about three days, and then uh, I just I just had a hard time, you know. It was just so the goal, all that stuff, 
And so finally, I went to uh, the producers and um, I said, you know, I, 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 I can't do this. I mean, first off, his name was uh, Bambo. And, uh, and I said, you know, I, I, there are guys who would jump up and down to get this role, but I, I, I can't. So I, I just quit. And wow. And uh, they called me that night and said, hey, we don't understand. I said, well, listen, I, you know, I got kids, man. And I just, you know, I, I, I can try to work around something, but this is just, no, I can't do it. So, and I, I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I can't do it. And I, I can tell you, most of my friends would be happy to do it for the money they were paying me. And so the next day they called and said, well, listen, Ernie, uh, we really want this to work. So how about we change the name uh, and from Bambo? His name is Smite. And uh, we, we still like the, the voodoo priest thing, but he's a voodoo priest who graduated from Oxford. So, and, and he has a, a British accent. And if we can do the, um, I mean, uh, we don't have to say Buana. And so they did uh, no gold teeth. Let's get rid of the gold teeth uh, in the earring. Who does that? And, you know, so wow. we were able to, to work it out. And normally, you know, you, you're so angry that you go, you call them racist, you say a bunch of awful things, and now is a battle, and now everybody hates everybody. But I think the fact that um, I, I learned that you can just say, no, I don't, I'm not comfortable, and... And I don't want to do it, and people will try to work with you. Wow. Well, hey, listen, uh, you know, I got 10 minutes because I know you got a busy schedule here, so I just want to make the most of it. So back really sure. quickly about Winston, when those kids were saying, well, well where does Winston go? Wasn't there a, a story, wasn't there a part that was edited out or something that Winston was supposed to have and then didn't happen? Yeah, in the very beginning, and I've been writing, we, we have different um, recollections. <laughs> <laughs> because we... And Ivan was saying, I'm saying, Ivan, I'm sorry, man, but uh, I don't remember it like that. I'm not saying you're wrong. We're both old men. So maybe one of our memories is a little short here, but maybe it's mine. I don't know. But um, in the beginning, there was a backstory. Winston came in in the very beginning, you know, when they first leave the university. Remember, they get kicked out of the university. Mm -hmm. And he comes in and, um, and he's an ex-Air Force colonel who was a demolitions expert. And he kind of ran the Ghostbusters. And so... Um, and then just before we start shooting, they wrote him out. I mean, basically, instead of coming out on page eight, he came in on page 68. And, uh, and all the backstory where I come in and we talk about who I am and I'm auditioning and I'm explaining what I do. He just says, um, you know, uh, there's a steady paycheck and I believe anything you say. And, um, and I, and I find that's just a funny line, but you don't get to know who this guy is. You know, you just, you know, it's, it's a funny bit, but unfortunately it doesn't give you a lot to play. So you, so as an actor, you have to bring all of that with you and hopefully people will see it. Through the you lines. Know, your mailman yeah. comes up, you don't want to, you don't know everything about him, but you can see in him who he is. Yes. And so I, I think the studio probably, uh, worked overtime to try and make sure that the Ghostbusters were always thought of as three guys. And I think it's the fans, and I, I really appreciate the fans who really embraced the character. Um, and at one point, Winston was uh, one of the best-selling dolls they had, and they were surprised. But I think that's, um, that's because the fans really love the character.
Well, speaking of fans, these are my patrons. This is called Shit Talking with Ernie Hudson. This will wrap it up. These are rapid answers, unless you want to talk about it, but I know Priscilla is going to be ringing in in a minute. Sure. Shit Talking, this is, uh, okay, Sophie M. Now, I know, oh, here, I didn't say this, Sophie did. Now, I know you ain't afraid of no ghost, but what are you afraid of? What, what, what fears? What, what are you afraid of, Ernie? I'm afraid of being afraid. When I, when I find myself afraid of something, I think, okay, something's wrong. I don't like being afraid. I don't either. Raj, you've been vocal about, well, we already, Raj, we already answered your question about Winston's role in Ghostbusters, but what about Ghostbusters Afterlife that's coming out next year? Do you have a backstory? Do, is there something a little more there? Yep, yep. Um, yes! To Jason Reitman. Jason, Jason, I love Jason. Jason. director, and he, um, yeah, Winston is definitely um, a, a complete character. I love that. Jason, you could have given me some small role, even one, like, can I get you a <laughs> cup of coffee, Winston? Something. You didn't. And I'm not going to forget it. We play hockey together. Brian H., did you realize how popular and cultural uh, uh, cultural institution Ghostbusters would be while you were filming it? No, I don't think. You know, you make a movie. I felt it's going to be like number one at the box office, but movies come and then you move on to the next thing. I didn't expect Ghostbusters five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. People are still um, seeing me on the street and yelling, who are you going to call? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted that. Uh, Lisa H. Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. When he defeated after crossing the streams, was it real marshmallow they used to burst all over you, or something less fun? It was uh, shaving cream. Big bats of shaving cream they poured all over us, and then they had about a ton of it that they had raised up on a lift and dropped down on Bill Atherton, um, Walter Peck. Uh, so it was all shaving cream. It was awful. awful. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't menthol. Angela F., what was it like working with Brandon Lee on The Crow? I love Brandon. I knew him eight years before he did the movie. Um, Brandon was one of those really gracious guys who always made everybody on the set feel welcome. And, um, and uh, I, he, was, he was a friend. And I, I just, it was shocking. I still can't believe what happened happened. But um, it's really tragic that, that he's no longer here. I think he would have been very proud of the movie. And I think it showed just how truly talented he was. Miranda, you guest starred in so many classic TV shows, Taxi, A-Team. And by the way, there's a list if you want to go to his Wikipedia or IMDb. Jesus, you, you work more than anybody I've ever met. What are the first ones that pop in your head in any one little story that's funny from any of those? Like Taxi, did you meet, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd? Andy Kaufman. Or Andy Kaufman, did you work with Andy Kaufman? You got a little funny story yeah, about Andy? Yeah, he was there. You know, he was working um, as a waiter during the time we were rehearsing and he showed up on the day, but he was, yeah, he was funny. Um, the, um, um, uh, was it taxi? A taxi that, um, Tony, uh, Tony Danza. So yeah. Tony Danza. Uh, I went in and I auditioned for a taxi and, uh, it just wasn't happening. I tried to do everything to, and, uh, they said, thank you very much. I knew I didn't get the job. So I walked out of the office and uh, Tony was standing on uh, a Paramount lot. And I walked by. He says, hey, hi. And he started the conversation. He said, how did it go? And I said, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. He said, really? He said, come with me. So he went back in the room and said, hey, I want to read with this guy. And uh, we read. And uh, and I got the job. What? Yeah. The, fa he, the fact that he actually, we, we and, and I see, he's a friend. And I see him from time to time at different events. But. Um, I, it was just really special and rare that he literally 
took me back into the room and uh, and gave me another chance. So you didn't know him. He just came up to you and was like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? We, we going there an audition? How'd it go? How's it going yeah. with you? And yeah. you're like, uh, I sucked or... Yeah, and then he goes, let's go read. You're going to read with me. Everything's going to be great. Yep, that's pretty much it. My he's God. Always, I mean, I love working with him. Um, what a nice guy. But yeah, no, he, yeah. Uh, this has been amazing. First of all, I, I just, I, I really like you. You're a, you're, a, you're a great guy. And I hope you come back on the, on the show anytime if you want to come and just have a talk. I mean, I, I love this. I hope you had well, fun. I'd love, to. I'd love to. It was really yeah. fun. Uh, Redemption Day. It, when is it coming out? Coming out January 8th and on demand on January 12th. Digital and on demand. Um, <laughs> last but not least, can you just please give me that Ernie face that you gave your kids every once in a while? They just kind of like they didn't want you to do the face. Hey, <laughs> that is that. See that that would scare me. That's it. You're a second away from busting my ass right now, Ernie. Yeah, it, we're, we're there. You don't want to go past. You don't, you go past this moment. <laughs> I can't promise you anything. <laughs> it was a moment. You jumped into it, and then there was a beat where your face relaxed for a second, and that's when I go, "Oh, yeah, wow, yeah, that was that would." And even though it works in in this business because people get real stupid in film and TV and entertainment. I also can do that face when people just go a little too far, back the hell up, and and people always do. I don't, I know. I don't play that. You're not yelling at me. <laughs> this is how we're gonna do this. I love it. So <laughs> you, you you have to have a you have to have a, a defense. That's my defense. I love it. Hey, this has been more than a treat. Uh, I love to talk to you again, man. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you today, man. I hope you had fun, man. Had a great time. Thank you. Stay safe and uh, healthy and yeah. So we're saying Ghostbusters, keep on busting. I love that guy. I uh, I hope he comes back. You know what? I always hope. Is it sad that I always hope that the guests like me? <laughs> I'm like, I hope Bernie liked me. I hope when they call him a year from now and they go, Mr. Hudson, Michael Rosenbaum liked to interview. Who's that? Michael Rosenbaum, you did a podcast from? No, 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 I ain't doing a podcast. That, that guy kept bringing up my past. <laughs> no, no, no. About my children. Mm, I don't want to talk to him. Um, I want to give it another shout out to all the patrons and, and thank you guys. Remember sunspin, my band is playing, just go to stageit.com, type in sunspin merch should be up. If not today on sunspin.com, awesome merch, lunch boxes and shit. You could also go to the inside of you online store for mugs, autograph, lunch boxes from Smallville pictures, tons of shit on there. Um, and where can they go see you, Ryan? Me? Yeah, you got stuff oh. on YouTube all the time. I mean, I'm at Tayez Ryan on the Instas and the Twits. At Tayez, that's T E L L E Z. And stuff come, comes up on the Warp Zone every now and again. Did you see my 2020 recap rap? I did not see that yet. Should okay. I watch that? Yeah. Uh, you're Another proud of it. Ryan's amazing, and he's just, he's really funny, and he's really dry, and he's got this sense of humor that when you watch, you're just he you're engaging, and you're funny, and you're a good guy. So it's hard to. Sort of, you don't look like you're an arse, like is because you know sardonic or yeah. sort of uh, you know guys that are. There's a lot of people that can come off as assholes, mm -hmm. like uh, what's his name, uh, Paul Rudd. Like I, I like Paul. I, I've met him. He's a nice guy, but he yeah. can come off like maybe as like that kind of like sarcastic dick. But he's not. That's just no. kind of who he is. He's just like you know they have that sort of sense of. But you don't you don't come off that way at I all. I can be a sarcastic dick. You sarcastic dick. Yeah, if I want to be. Let's give a shout out to all the big ass. And by the way, write a review, please. If you're here still, and if you still haven't, you've listened to the podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts, write a review and subscribe on YouTube and Apple 
podcasts and everywhere else. It really helps the show. And we're trying to, you know, grow the show. I love this. I turned this into a bit of a career and I, I'm just really passionate about it. I never, I never thought I'd be passionate about this. So uh, whatever help you can do, it's, you know, it's all right. Here we go. This, these are the patrons who make this show very possible. And thank you to Westwood One who makes the show possible. And thank you to Ryan, my editor and engineer. Thank you to Bryce, my producer. Thank you to everybody out there who has sent me gifts for the holidays and, um, uh, and all that jazz. Patrons, Nancy D, Leah S. That's correct. Stubbs, Trisha F, Sarah V, Little, Lisa, U, Kiko, Jill, E. Yes, my God. Brian, A. Son of a B, Lauren. G. Yes, Nico. P. Robin. S. Jerry. W. Emily. F. Robert. C. B. God, Damn it. how did he do it? <laughs> Jason W. Stephen J. Kristen. K. Amelia. O. Allison. L. Jess. Uh, G- oh, G- oh, crap. I don't remember this one. J. Jess J. Lucas M. Raj. C. Joshua. D. Emily. F. S. Damn. CJ. P. Samantha. M. I-, I can't believe what you're doing right now. Well, every time I do it, I have a visual aid right right next to me, oh, so I know. Oh, my God. This is genius. Jennifer. P. No. Well, N. Well, there is uh, Jennifer N. Correct. Jackie P. Stacy. Mm. L. Carly. T. Jennifer. Uh, P. F. S. S. Janelle. B. Carrie. M. B. Damn. Tabitha. 272-9-3-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-
E and Nathan E. You know why you don't know them? They're new. They're new. Uh. They're new patrons. A lot of them are new patrons, and I am delighted to say welcome to the family. Patrons are are, are just awesome, and uh, I'm excited about the band. The music's coming out. We're going to start releasing songs in the next month, and the CD's coming out. We've worked really hard, and people have been so supportive, and uh, I think you're going to really like the music, so give it a chance. I know there's a lot of music out there, but uh, I hope you give it a chance. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. From my friend Ryan Tez and I here at Rosenbaum Studio in the middle of nowhere in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, wave at the camera, Ryan. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you guys. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.